0: Alright, would you open your Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 2? We'll be in Luke chapter 2 this morning, looking at this really neat account of Simeon and Anna, which maybe doesn't get as much attention uh, during the Christmas season, but one that I love very much. So Luke chapter 2, and we'll be starting in verse 22. I cannot find my place. All right, Luke 2, 22. Let me read this. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem. That's Jesus. They brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Simeon and Anna who were actively longing, waiting, worshiping, knowing that you were sending... The consolation of Israel, the desire of nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles to save the human race. Lord, I pray that this morning we would wait upon you, eagerly anticipating that you are going to work in our hearts this morning, that you are going to change us, that you are going to conform our will to yours. So Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to be with us this morning, to open our eyes, to behold the wonderful things from your word that you have for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I'm getting my water, I'm going to ask a question for you this morning. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? There are probably a lot of things on our minds right now in this season that we may be waiting for. Kids, maybe there's a particular present under the tree even right now that you are waiting to open. Maybe a majority of us are just waiting to get back to normal, whatever normal looks like these days. What are those things that you most hope will change or will improve in your life or will come to fruition in the days and weeks and maybe in the year ahead in 2021. Maybe some of you are just waiting for 2020 to be over and to start all over again. Well, there's another question I wanna ask. I actually wanna ask three questions this morning that that I hope will be on your mind throughout this sermon and will stay with you as you leave here this morning. One is, what are you waiting for? But the next one is, how are you spending your waiting? How are you spending your waiting? What are you doing in the time between now when you don't have the thing that you want and the time when it will come potentially in the future? How are you spending your waiting? And then the final question I want us to ask of ourselves this morning is this. As you think about those things that you're waiting for, and maybe write some of those down, will the things that you are waiting for bring the satisfaction that you're looking for? Will the things that you're waiting for this morning bring the ultimate satisfaction that you hope they will bring? This passage this morning is about waiting upon the Lord. It gives us an account of two people, Simeon and Anna, and really outside of this account, we don't know anything else about these two people, which is something really neat about Luke, is that he would include two very ordinary people Yet with such extraordinary faith. These two people had been waiting a really, really, really long time for something. The occasion is that Mary and Joseph were to bring the baby Jesus to the temple according to the customs of the law. So after about six weeks of a time of purification, mom and dad would bring the baby and and, and almost as a symbol of dedication, the firstborn This child is holy to the Lord. So they were to bring the child to the temple to fulfill the law, to fulfill all righteousness. When they are greeted by these two very ordinary people, Simeon and Anna. And we're going to spend our time focusing really on that part of the text this morning. The account of Simeon and Anna and their response to the Christ child. So. These two people are really parallel accounts. They have a lot in common, and Luke wants to teach us something through their example. Both of them are at the very end of their lives, right? So Simeon is very old, and and he's really just waiting to see Christ so that he can die and go on to be with the Lord. And then you have Anna, who, who after being married for seven years, spent... The next 60 or maybe even 84 years, depending on on what is meant here by 84, whether she was 84 years old or spent 84 years as a widow, waiting and waiting for the redemption of Israel. We see in verse 25, Simeon is waiting on the consolation of Israel. And we see in verse 38 that Anna is going to speak to everyone that this is the one who they've been waiting for for the redemption of Jerusalem. So two otherwise very obscure individuals, yet two who have so much to teach us this morning about waiting upon the Lord. That's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? We don't really use that. Too often, outside of church or outside of reading the scriptures, that I'm waiting upon the Lord. That's probably a phrase that's a little bit foreign to the world when we talk about waiting. Why would anyone want to celebrate something like waiting? And when you think of waiting, maybe for some of you, you think of kind of passive idleness, just kind of sitting around, you're trying to fight impatient impatience, maybe it's you know, waiting on a ride at an amusement park for hours and hours. And until you get on that ride, there's really nothing fun that's going to happen. So you're just going to stand there and wait. When we think of waiting, I think often it makes us think of something that we want, but we don't yet have. Therefore, we are deprived. We're deprived of something. So it's, it's sad to be waiting because we don't yet have the thing we want. And so it becomes more about what we're deprived of, rather than what we are expecting to take hold of. So right now, like I said, we are without the COVID cure, at least in a a widely distributed sense. We're without the vaccine, so we're just kind of waiting because we don't yet have what we really hope we will have. So we're deprived. Or kids, you don't yet have that long that gadget that you are longing for, that you've sought all year, and that you've begged your parents for, so you're just gonna have to be deprived, and you're just gonna have to accept the fact that life is not as colorful as it will be on December 25th. So we're without these things. We're without that dream job, or that home, or that new set of circumstances, and we're deprived. But biblical waiting is something completely different. Biblical waiting, by contrast, is far more about a posture of readiness to grab hold of God's promises. A posture of readiness, watching that says, God is doing something, I can't wait to take hold of it in full. And the best way I could capture this biblical sense of the term is just to break down the roots of this word waiting, which we see in verse 25 and 38, which literally means toward taking hold of something, approaching, leaning into, anticipating the taking hold of something, which is really cool because when you look down in verse 28 and you see Simeon taking hold of the Christ child in his arms, it's the same root word that's found back in waiting. So he can't wait to take hold of it. And in verse 28, he literally takes hold of what he's been waiting for. His whole life. So one of the things I wanted to do this morning is I just wanted to, to take some time to do kind of a, a biblical survey, a, a brief summary through the scriptures. If you have that sheet, um, it's in your pew. There's this sheet that talks about or that has the different verses um, for uh, a bib- There's somebody at the front door. If somebody would go let them in, I think it might be locked. <laughs> Thank you, Troy. On that sheet, though, you have a a number of scriptures that show us this repeated phrase all throughout scripture. Waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon the Lord. So in Psalm 25, three through five, which I think is the first one on your sheet, we see. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. And so the psalmist says, for you, I wait all the day long. If you're waiting upon the Lord, you will never be put to shame. And then we have Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen: Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So we, sing that, we see that in waiting for the Lord, we have courage for our hearts. Psalm thirty-three, twenty: Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, waiting brings us protection. In Psalm 130, one of my favorite psalms, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. More than watchmen wait for the morning, in his word I hope. And the psalmist says he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So we see the connection between waiting upon the Lord and his forgiveness that he's bringing us so waiting for hit waiting to take hold of his mercy and forgiveness. Proverbs 8:34 Blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates waiting beside my doors. So when you think of waiting upon the Lord, think of an an expectant watching to see what the Lord is going to do in your life. Skip ahead to Isaiah 40:31. 40, 40, some of some of you will find this very familiar. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not grow faint. Shall walk and not faint. So we see that waiting upon the Lord actually renews our strength by giving us a whole new perspective on what God is doing all around us. Then Titus 2, 11 through 14, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you want to do a great Bible study, just search that word, waiting upon the Lord, and read all those instances in Scripture, of what it means to wait upon the Lord. Just as a summary, I think we can say this. To wait upon the Lord is to expectantly watch for God's work. To expectantly watch for God's work. To wait upon the Lord is to look forward to taking hold of his mercy and forgiveness in our lives. To wait upon the Lord is to have our strength renewed by remembering God's faithfulness. To wait upon the Lord is to watch for him to redeem your circumstances, which are beyond your power to redeem, and to watch him to do so in ways that are beyond your comprehension. Waiting on the Lord, we have to say, is an act of worship that says, Lord, you are working even when I can't always see it. So we see that Simeon and Anna understood this type of waiting on the Lord. They were actively, not passively sitting around, but actively devoted to waiting upon the Lord. And so I come back to this question. How are you spending your waiting moments right now? How many of you, I wonder, over the past year have have felt kind of like you've lost a sense of motivation to do the things that you once were very enthusiastic about? I know I've, I've had that temptation just to be like, well, can't really do anything right now, so what's the point? You kind of feel that, that malaise of COVID that it's, that's brought about that's like, well, I'll just get to that when things get back to normal. One of the problems with the church in Thessalonica is that after Paul had taught them about the return of the Lord, the return of Jesus, and that that was going to bring about uh, the restoration of everything, some of them actually took that to mean, well, I guess there's no sense in doing anything until he comes, so we'll just twiddle our thumbs And wait around. And Paul had to rebuke them and say, No, work for the Lord because he's coming. We see this passive idleness, lack of motivation, that was not the type of waiting that Simeon and Anna were doing. They were waiting with a passionate, expectant pursuit that God was going to deliver them from their sins. When all around them there was chaos and and, and within the fray and and likely Roman soldiers walking around the temple and and people saying all kinds of things and maybe maybe the Messiah is never going to come. There's all this chaos. They're the ones who are stretching their head above, still looking, fixed, eagerly awaiting Jesus to come. And rescue them. If you can kind of picture that right now in your own life, maybe it feels chaotic. Maybe it feels like there's a lot of confusion all around, a lot of the fog of war in your circumstances. But you want to be the one who's looking above it all to say, Christ, what are you doing through all of this right now? Though they could not yet see Christ fully, he was their hope. And so they clung to God's promise. What a beautiful picture of faith. If you want a picture of faith, Simeon and Anna, look no further. Simeon near the temple, righteous and devout. There day after day, just waiting to take hold of the Christ child. Anna, who would not depart and day after day was fasting and praying, waiting for the redemption of all Israel. You have to understand, it is no accident that they happen to be in the right place at the right time when Jesus arrived. Why? Because they were there all the time waiting to take hold of God's promises. Just a little application here. When you are actively expecting God's redemption in your life, when you're actively expecting God's work in your life, you are far more likely to see it and to receive it when it comes. If you're spending your life doing something completely different, if you're giving your life to completely different pursuits, when Jesus is here ready to redeem or when Jesus returns, you might miss it altogether and you won't receive anything, only what you have set your hopes on. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about this idea of of waiting upon the Lord and the the different applications that we can make to our own lives and what it means to wait upon the Lord. It kind of came to me that there's really three senses of waiting upon the Lord that we can sort of uh, think about or practice today. And and three senses which we see in Simeon and Anna. First of all, there is the day-to-day sense of waiting on the Lord as Christians, the day-to-day sense of waiting of waiting on the Lord. The psalmist says, in the morning, I prepare a sacrifice and watch. In the morning, I get up and I say, Lord, the day belongs to you and I watch. This day-to-day sense, think of it kind of like this. When you give the first fruits of your morning to pouring over God's word and asking him the questions, Lord, how are you working in my life today? And you meditate and you begin to look into the way that you will spend your day, whether you're going to work or whether you're going to school or whether in the home and you say, Lord, show me what it is you want me to do. That type of waiting upon the Lord guarantees you that you are going to see him work. You are going to find opportunities that you would not have found apart from coming to him each morning like that. So there's the day-to-day sense There's also kind of the ultimate salvation sense of waiting upon the Lord. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel, deliverance from their greatest enemy. Anna was waiting for the redemption of her people. If I seek salvation, if I seek redemption, if I seek the forgiveness of sins in Christ... I will never be disappointed, but what I will find there is mercy and compassion that is enough to deliver me, to free me from my sins, to free me from my fears, peace that cannot be explained in any other way, reconciliation with God our Father. That's what it means to wait upon the Lord in the salvation sense. Some people may think that they have no need of forgiveness, that there's really nothing that they need to be forgiven of. And so they won't find the forgiveness of Christ. They will never know. They will never experience the compassion that Christ brings and the deliverance that he brings from sin. Still, others may think that they are so bad that they have sinned in such a great way that they are actually now beyond the forgiveness of Christ they too, in a different way, will not understand what it means to be saved unless they're willing to say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you can save me. I believe that your death on the cross for the forgiveness of sins is enough. Then there's the final sense of waiting upon the Lord. Again, a Christian waiting that we have, and that is waiting for our blessed hope of the appearing of the glory of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, waiting upon the Lord to return. Because the Lord came once, and he revealed himself to people like Simeon and Anna, but we know as Christians that he is coming again soon to restore all things, and to bring about the new heavens and the new earth. And so I wonder how many of you, if you're being honest with yourself, would say that on a regular basis, you think about the fact that you're waiting upon the Lord to return and to restore all things. Jesus had some words of encouragement for us about this. In Luke 12:35, he says, Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. You see a posture of expectancy for the Lord's future return Ready to, readies us to receive today his present blessing. Simeon and Anna were dressed for action. Their lamps were burning. They were ready to receive the Christ. They wanted to be found pleasing their master. And when he, re, he arrived, they received their reward. What you wait for and how you spend your waiting is going to determine what you receive. What you wait for and how you spend your time waiting is going to determine what you receive. Just think about all the people that the scripture presents for us as examples of those who were not waiting upon the Lord or who were waiting for something completely different than what he was coming to give them. Think of the scribes and the Pharisees. And this, this comes to, to, uh, to light most clearly, I think, in that story of the wise men. The wise men who leave everything behind and travel a thousand miles following a star, influential people, just so they can bow down at the feet of a baby who they happen to know is the savior of the world. And yet when they come into the city of Jerusalem and and, and Herod is asking around, trying to figure out what's going on, the scribes and the Pharisees come and and they say, oh yeah, I think there's some prophecy about how he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Maybe you'll find him there. They don't even care. And these are the guys who spent their whole life pouring over the scriptures, puffing themselves up to try to be the most righteous people that they possibly could be. But they were not looking for a savior like Jesus. So when he came, guess what? All the joy, the majesty that the wise men experienced, they experienced none of it. Because they were looking for the wrong thing. When you think of the rich young man that comes to Jesus And he's looking for eternal life. He's looking for what he must do to be saved. And Jesus just rolls out some of the Ten Commandments. And he's like, "Yep, I've done that. I've done that. I've done that. And he's like, well, well, if you really understand what it means to give your life to me, if you really understand what it means to trust me, then you'll be willing to go sell everything you have and come follow me. But the rich young man did not want that. In fact he was so blinded by his material possessions that he just went away sad and the scriptures tell us where your treasure is there will your heart be and I think maybe when we start to examine what is it we're waiting for what is it we're hoping for most in life that really reveals where our treasure is where your treasure is there will your heart be will your heart be with Christ who will save you and will redeem you and will give you a peace that passes all understanding? Or is your treasure in something that is only going to fade away and rust and break down and disappoint? What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for presence in five days? I know maybe some of you, that really doesn't mean much anymore, (laughs) but some of you kids are really waiting for presence. I remember when I was a kid, I could not sleep the night before Christmas, even until I was like 16, which is kind of embarrassing to say that today. But the night before Christmas, I couldn't sleep because I knew whatever was under the tree was going to fulfill all of my wildest hopes and dreams. And today I have none of those, at least I don't think I enjoy any of those possessions today. They're all broken in a trash can, in a junkyard, or somewhere else. What are you waiting for? Maybe you're waiting for the vaccine and that's gonna you know, somehow solve the problems of this past year. Maybe you're waiting for that final cure to the recurring pain that you've been battling your whole life. Maybe you're waiting to fall into fortune or to win the lottery. Go read about all the examples of people who won the lottery and ended up more depressed and broken after the fact. Maybe some of you, to bring it a little closer to home, are looking to find the ideal job. There's no such thing. Ever since the fall, there's no such thing as an ideal job. Or maybe you're looking to find that dream home. I bought a home 11 years ago, and I'm still having to repair it, and call contractors to come in and fix things, and it drives me crazy. There's no such thing as a dream home. Maybe some of you kids are looking forward to adulthood. When you get to be a grown-up and make all the decisions on your own, that comes with a lot of responsibility, which is not fun a lot of the time. Maybe some of you parents are looking to be independent from your children. How many parents do I know say, oh man, I wish I could just have just one more day with them. One more day with them in my home. I wish I would have cherished more the time that I had when they were with me and they were flinging SpaghettiOs all over the kitchen. Maybe some of you are looking forward to becoming a parent or some of you are looking forward to getting married. These are great things to look forward to, many of them, but they are infinitely lesser than the ultimate thing that we should be looking forward to, that we should be waiting upon, and that is... To take hold of christ and his forgiveness and to watch him work and transform our lives just imagine all the other things that simeon and anna probably would have been waiting for in their lives anna after being married for seven years a widow maybe looking for a husband to rescue her to change her circumstances simeon his whole life holding on to this promise that he wouldn't see death until christ came and yet all around him it looks like his people are being oppressed and abused and he just longs to be free and liberated. Old age must have brought about aches and pains that they were probably looking forward to to being done with. And I want you to know that the scripture does not minimize the painfulness of that type of waiting. In fact, the scripture explains very clearly why we do have to to have pain in the waiting, and it's because of sin. It's because in the garden we chose to go our own way instead of accepting the perfect fellowship we had with the Father. This is called sin, and this is the reason why God had to come in the flesh. This is the reason why God came to reveal himself to Simeon and to Anna. He came to remove those thorns from our lives, the greatest thorn from our lives, the thorn of sin. But you see, even though the Bible is all about this waiting, we're no longer in the garden, so we're waiting for the restoration of God in all things. Though the Bible is all about waiting, it is not meant to bring us into deeper and deeper discouragement because of all the things we are deprived of or all the things we don't yet have. Instead, the purpose of waiting is to detach our hope from all the fleeting stuff of this world so that we would fix it on the only eternal, the only lasting thing, and that is life in Christ Jesus. The Bible says several times those who wait upon the Lord or those who hope in the Lord— will never be put to shame. Will never be put to shame. If you wait upon the Lord, if you spend your time hoping in Him, hoping in His forgiveness, hoping in His transformation in your life, hoping for Him to conform your will to His, you will never be put to shame. There are a million other things you can put your hope in, and they will put you to shame. But in this one, you will never be put to shame. And the song of Simeon, as it's called often, is really the centerpiece of this story. This is the thing you want to have in your mind, ringing in your ears, that you want to take away, especially during this season. It's the lesson that there is only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of the soul. So if you look with me in verse 29, we'll read this together. It says, Lord, and this word Lord, very unique usage of the word Lord, only used one other time in the scriptures. This is the Lord that means you have all authority over everything, and I am your servant ready to do your will. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. Means everything, everything's good now. I can die because I know I have everything I need in you. You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And remember, Simeon is looking at a baby who just wandered in in the arms of his poor parents who weren't anything in the eyes of society. He's looking into the eyes of a baby as he's saying, My eyes have seen your salvation. What? What kind of salvation can come from a baby from a poor family? God is now with us. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God is in the flesh means that the hope of humanity has arrived, though I am full of sin, that it's coursing through my veins. Now someone has come to change all of that. And if my life is his, if I belong fully to him, then guess what? I have the hope. I will never be put to shame that my sins have been dealt with, that they've been forgiven on the cross. Scriptures tell us the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. No one has ever seen God the only God remember because of sin we could not see God and live right no one has ever seen God the only God who's at the father's side he has made him known. So Simeon is staring into the eyes of the one who is the exact imprint of God's nature, the radiance of his glory, Jesus Christ. And he says, you have prepared, the one you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, meaning he's accessible to everyone, not just Jew, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And we see it with Anna's response to coming up that very hour. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the picture of what it looks like when we have those scriptures that tell us blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied or seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Or Psalm 63, two through three. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. When Simeon took hold of the Christ child in his arms, he knew that he had everything he needed. So I ask you this question again. Will you be satisfied like Simeon was satisfied when what you are waiting for finally arrives? Or another question, is Jesus enough for you? Is Jesus enough for you? Simeon goes on to to, to give this blessing to Mary and Joseph. And he says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall. I mean, everything was, was joy and celebration, and all of a sudden you get this news. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, you would only have to turn in your Bibles, let's see, two pages. To find Jesus in the temple, quoting the words of Isaiah, that I've come to proclaim liberty to the captives, to give sight to the blind, to heal the brokenhearted, and saying, this is about me. And yet the people, some of them believed, but some of them rejected him, got so angry that they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. The Christ child in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 4, they're ready to throw him off of a cliff. Why? Why would it be that way? Because unless you're willing to come to Christ like a Simeon or an Anna, unless you're willing to come to him and say, I have nothing apart from you. You are my Lord. You are my master. Take my life. He will be an offense Somebody telling you what to do, how to live your life will be an offense if you don't come to him humbly, ready to receive all that he has for you. 1 Peter chapter 2, we get this fulfillment, this quote from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Jesus is chosen and he's precious. And whoever believes in him, here it is again, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Jesus came offering life, and yet it angered his people to the point of wanting to kill him. Jesus came offering light, and people hated the light. Jesus came offering the forgiveness of sins, and people hated being called sinners. Jesus came offering peace to all, and people hated the fact that he would offer reconciliation to people who were far worse sinners than themselves. Jesus is both the hope of humanity, but also a sign of judgment and condemnation for those who reject him. There is no neutrality with the Christ. We like to memorize John 3:16 and we should. It is a glorious verse. It is the gospel in a verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Yet there's also a John 17:18 and 19 that we have to be aware of. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And Simeon told Mary and Joseph, that he was going to be a sword piercing through their own soul, which I think must be a reference to Mary at the cross, seeing her son crucified, seeing the spear stuck in his side. It was going to cost his life to bring about the forgiveness of sins. And Simeon says, This is so that the thoughts of hearts may be revealed. We know that the Word of God is living. And active, it's sharper than any two edged sword, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And I often say, we don't necessarily so much read the scriptures as the scriptures read us and discern what's in our hearts. And I come back to this idea of waiting. Whatever it is that we are waiting for most in life, that reveals what's in our hearts. If the deepest longings of your soul are temporal or they are bound to this earth, then the idea of salvation from sin will not give you consolation in any way, shape, or form. Jesus will be something else to you. But to all who do receive him, to all who believe in his name, he has given the right of becoming children of God, the full satisfaction of being a child of God. This is our greatest need. And not having Jesus is what keeps us from peace, it's what keeps us from contentment, it's what keeps us from joy, it's what keeps us from hope. So I'll come back to that question to close, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? And is the thing that you're waiting for is it the thing that's going to bring you lasting peace? Pure joy, true contentment that your heart desires. You might find out that some of the things that you're waiting for right now, even as a believer in Jesus, are actually things that are going to cause you to stray further and further away from his love, from his peace, and from his joy. But there's one type of waiting that will always be worth the wait There's one type of waiting that will never leave you unsatisfied. There's one type of waiting that if you make it your practice, you will learn to say like Simeon, Lord, now your servant can depart in peace because I have everything I need. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you this week. Let me encourage you this morning. Let me encourage you in all of 2021. Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon the Lord to transform your heart. Wait upon the Lord to show you all the opportunities around you to grow in his grace and knowledge. Wait upon the Lord to transform the hearts of your family and friends. Wait upon the Lord to give you a greater hunger for his word. Wait upon the Lord to give you a greater hunger for his righteousness. Wait upon the Lord for his forgiveness when you sin. Don't wait upon your works to buy what he has already purchased. Wait upon the Lord for the consolation that only he can give in the midst of waiting for everything else. And when you wait, wait with arms wide open like Simeon's, ready to receive from him and take hold of the greatest gift he's ever given, Jesus Christ. My prayer for us is that we would have hearts like Simeon and Anna that sing with joy over and over again, Come, thou long-expected Jesus born to set your people free. From our sins and fears, release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth you are. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart.